You guys want to do some more poetry? Really? Really? Some of you don't know me very well. Uh, my uh, degrees are in ecology and biology. Uh, the rocks come from, uh, I was in land reclamation research in the eastern United States, uh, building ecosystems from bedrock up. You know, they use the explosives to remove the uh, overburden, the rock and the soil, and then they regrade everything. And, when I went in, we could make anything green. When I left, we could make it productive, sometimes twice as much as uh, uh, the productivity was before, which I thought was rather cool. But some people take me too seriously because of that doctor title. So I'm going to start one to put me in my place so you don't have to later. It's called Fat. A woman out there in the hall called me fat. Well, I admit that I am a guy of girth, a man of substance, a personage of presence, but she simply called me fat. Is all of me, my pertinence, my personality to be reduced to one single monosyllabic moniker? She could have said, the lipoid sheath about his frame precedes his face by quarter of an hour. But the stone off her tongue just thumped back. She could have said he has such gravity. When he roams the beaches of Oregon, the failing tides reverse their wane. Their breakers genuflect before him until surfers in Hawaii are left hanging low and desiccated. Until coastal junks, sampans, and deep water shipping all run aground off Singapore. But no, she called me fat. She could have said he's the Jupiter of men, entitled to wear cold rings and silver moons pendant when he makes Jovian passage. She called me fat. She could have said when he flies Delta to New York, he stretches the asteroid belt and perturbs the Oort cloud. The beauty school dropout just called me fat. <clears throat> I acknowledge that I am man writ large, but that demannered matron called me fat. I deserve more words, at least a paragraph. At the very least, far more letters than that. Here, here. Thank you.
Um, one of the central themes about what I'm going to talk about tonight, I'm launching a uh, new chat book called Zarathustra's Washing Machine. For those of you who didn't know Zarathustra personally or otherwise, he was a um, philosopher, religious leader, came out of Persia about 600 years before Christ, give or take a few. And um, I have forgotten the name of the religion that he... Uh, okay, that's it. Um, but I got sometimes think of life as, you know, being very dirty, so you get philosophical and shove it into a washing machine and see what comes out. I'm trying to, trying, trying to clean things up. But uh, I want to cross that with the idea that poets have a responsibility to do a little bit more than just amuse us from time to time. Uh, my uh, One of my heroes in life is Alexander Solzhenitsyn, a Russian poet who spent a lot of his life in the gulag for waking people up. And there's uh, an old rhyme from the 60s was going around by the Ch Chad Mitchell trio um, to the effect, I'm not afraid of atom bombs, said Khrushchev. I'm not afraid of anything, and they know it. I've got no regard for anything except, perhaps, a poet. So, we have an, a responsibility from time to time to make people think. Uh, we, if we're halfway decent poets, we got the power to do that, you know. But uh, I went to a few uh, peace readings and demonstrations. And uh, people were talking about how important it is to feel peace in oneself. And if you are peaceful, everything else will be peaceful. And I was one of two angry poets there who said, action is required. And this poet poem, very short, is about that. Absence of conflict won't by itself bring us peace. Cranes are not enough. And following out of that came a poem, When Lightning Strikes. When lightning strikes from cloud to cloud, from earth to sky or sky to earth, she does all those, you know. She's negating differences among her realms. All life is part electric fields, twisting, turning, taking, giving, to and from each other as we let transients through. Even in vacuum. All things pass with electrons and fields caressed. Beings of the earth and sky lead different lives, each charging others through charges interchange, a natural progression until those differences become so loaded that lightning appears and throws her sparks. Destruction and conflagration can result and do. This is why both you and I are charged to become leaders, Charge bleeders in our fields, leavening differences between our here's, their, theirs. This is why both you and I are charged to become lightning rods. And if they throw you in the jail for doing that, all the better. Gives you credence.
This uh, book in my hand that I'm starting with is not the one that this is about. Uh, my main feet, main material is coming out of here, but uh, this is the skeleton of the next chapbook, holding things. Uh, Lori wanted me to read Autumn Mandala because this is the seasonal poem. If I've got a seasonal poem about. Uh, uh, the autumn season. I wrote this in Vermont, where in the fall you have red um, sugar maple stands on the mountains, and where the roads go through, they gr or have gone through, they grow up in, in in birches, which are yellow. So you get these red mountains with uh, uh, yellow streaks going through them. Very beautiful. And this is the autumn mandala. Along the edges of the wood, the birch's leaves have turned to gold in circling forest maple fire. I'd take you with me if I could, as passion flared in days of old before we sank into the mire, forgetting as but mortals would the way it was before flesh grew cold. Our colors wax and then retire, just as the edges of the wood where birch's leaves have turned to gold in circling forest maple fire. Well, over to the uh, um, the new book. Um, a lot of the intellectual history of the world, I'm not going to go much into that, but um, we have a set of beliefs we grow up with, but as our society learns more, we have to get rid of the old ones and adopt new ones. And it seems that uh, nothing is constant, and for certain it isn't. So our development is like Russian dolls, you know, one inside the other. And that's the name of this poem. We are Russian dolls. Jealous of our confinement, we grow, our energy squeezing our light through our hard edges of darkness. Limits reached, we break out and revel in our maturity. We measure our new universe and dream the math of God. Exploration finds new curves. Limits to plane geometry turn us to spherical thinking and thrusts us into the calculus. New limits succumb to new growth as we grow ever outward, thinking we will never reach a final shell of nemesis. Will we burst our final bounds and looking round then find that on the highest ground we are not but others' toys. There's an influence behind that. And this is one basically about religion, but you can find other ways to apply this. Many of these are written on two levels. There's a story and there's an understory. Finding the understory. Uh, is one of the fun parts of this book, as far as I'm concerned. One of the things I find is someone will take one of these poems and tell me what it means, and another person will tell me something entirely different. And many times it's things I never thought of myself. This is called The Refusenik. 
sent unknowing into the world, darkness closing round him, he scrabbles to find reason within his form. He, left in light to find, left in night to find the light, stands or falls away alone. He clumps with others round face, phosphorescences, and covets truth, seeks enlightenment. Then he squints and shields his eyes when radiance appears, fearing its burn. He despises all light that comes not from within himself, damned as any truth, not invented here. Struggle stripes him in wet earth from which he shuns to clean himself, insisting the washcloths are soiled by those before or around him. All stains of clay suffice to justify his will to discard them, call them fit for naught but hamper, and certify that dirt is suitable to our nature. Tethered in time and cloaking smoke, he curses the maker of the clock as cruel to allow hours to strike the sums of dark minutes he has authored. He sits on curbs, neath guttering lamps, and howls at the lady who appears, speaking soft invitation, and Godot never comes. One of the things I like to do is adopt a persona and uh, tell a story from there and go on with it. One of these is two curses. I sent you out from the source. You are part of all being, part of all knowledge, part of me though you do not know the meaning of independence, of choice, or mortality. I put you into linear time that you may learn the meaning of cause and effect, and you may experience consequence, though you may err and call it fate. I send you into darkness that you may learn to create light. I send you alone that you may learn to unite. I give you speech and leave you free to babble. I give you ears, but I do not force you to hear. I give you intellect that you may pass through confusion. I give you many courses back to me, and I let you lose your way. When you call upon me, you will know silence until you learn to listen. In silence, then, I speak my few words. Enough, if you listen enough. I give you one planet that you may make a garden of fruit or fields of ash. I give you a view of stars that you may know potential. I make a universe beyond your comprehension. Within it I sow so many forms of life that if you escape a racial death by hubris, you may learn humility, for you will always find many above you. I have given you my adversary. He, my antipole, will make you one alone if you do not choose to remake yourself in community with me. I have laid upon you two curses, and you will learn to call them free choice and consequence. To lighten up just a bit something of great practical importance called a slap. 
If you slap sleepers to awaken them because the house is burning, will they only remember the slap? And to sum up the, the progress of science in a few words, called decreation. A world died. New belief in science changed the matrix in which we believed. Now there are no elves. And... Uh, one of my old-time favorites is called To Be a Poet. Back to responsibility again. To be a poet is to be a god. Small g. I don't need to be condemned for hubris as well as sacrilege. In the beginning is the word. That multiplies. Begetting light from which is drawn a firmament, declaring island to the waters. And dreams that I have spun from clay are named to become new creatures from which one with muddy soul steps out to take dominion. And my creation rises up to take my name and set his words over mine as he learns the secrets inherent in information. But I am master of the meter, and I take all back as I insert my period into his sentence. I am the poet who will not have editors before me. Um, here's one called Tending Garden. I used to do an awful lot of this. Time spent in the holding of hoses gives time for reflection and thought of things that remain in life hold versus things we have sold or just bought. Young plants that were set out per design versus volunteers not in a row are one no better than others, and which was which no one need know. And so it goes for all the children who come sometimes not when we please, but like what shows up best in the garden, we'd trade nothing for any of these. Um, living in a democracy, as uh, Franklin said, we can trade freedom for security and have neither. Well, uh, that's the theme of a news story came out a couple, three months ago out of a New Zealand news, uh, New Zealand news source. It's called An Octopus Escapes His Garden for the Sea. Inky the octopus, with a body the size of a soccer ball, was resident of the National Aquarium of New Zealand. He escaped from his tank when his lid was left ajar. He pulled himself across the floor to a drain through which he poured and flowed himself 50 meters through a pipe to freedom in the sea. Do octopi know of claustrophobia? Is freedom at sea worth its struggle and death, worth the trial of possible death by drain? Uh, 
Did Inky show mankind that his being difference is not enough to justify a well-appointed prison? Did he reject the blessings to him imposed by the zoo security state? What needs did Inky find unmet in an octopus's garden by the sea? Had he the smarts and soul to know and show that a well-armed mind cannot be held prisoner forever? Adam and Eve in the garden might have thought the same. Did they know knowledge and freedom trump security and ease? Was Eve's apple, like Inky's drain, the only way out? How to get along in the world we've inherited is uh, one of the big sources, well, something we have to learn to come to terms with. Uh, not only how we look at things, how we do things, but how we see them. Uh, when I first became Catholic, I was introduced to, by older men and some women, to an idea called the gift of tears. Tis a gift, they say, the gift of tears, a salted sort of honey to go with bitters. So Catholic an idea, accepting that which plunges to the heart of one who's lived in better days and seen them through with less seeing less awareness, oblivious to the pain borne by others. To see more now, to be aware, to know the pain, identify and feel what should be felt, as no other should walk alone. Tis water on the cheek that baptizes the soul. Have you, I suppose most of you have seen the Bible and some of those old uh, grand movies with multi-million dollar um, budgets about the Bible and the world and so forth. One of the episodes comes from the burning bush. Moses talked to a burning bush and God spoke back from the flames. Was it really the voice of God that issued from the flaming shrub to spark 3,000 years of nationhood? Or was Moses really just out of lithium? You were a pharmacy tech. You know what I'm talking about. Uh I saw this next one occurring. I first saw it occur in fourth grade. Uh, I watched it play its way out through high school. And when I became a uh, teacher, mostly a substitute teacher in high school, I saw this occurring in schools where I was. It didn't go as far as some of these, but uh, 
there was a lot of uh, buried heartbreak going on uh, behind the locker doors down the halls. This is called Infamous. He came to school his first first day in the fourth grade with flame-red hair uncombed and scabbed over chicken pox still on his face. Jill Trent, preceptress of fashion, said, He's a poison carrot, and the name stuck long after his face had cleared. He cried into his pillow many years that he was so rejected, though all he wanted to be was just one of the crowd, any crowd, and to some day not hear his name shouted on the playground or the street. He moved silently through school from joke at his expense to just ignored, to target of carrots thrown at lunch. Too slight for football and tone deaf, he did not fit anywhere the semi-famous stood, and he went to the junior prom alone. He came to school last week like every other day, a loner, overlooked until the fifth bell rang and the lunchroom filled. Then he wrote, wrote his name for three nights running on the evening news. Something a little lighter. Would it be progress? Would it be progress if a new gas mixed with the atmosphere, seeping into things like shirts, skin, barbershops, and old libraries? And the government said it was harmless. Its only effect was to make ink fade if it was touched by any kind of light. How are we doing for time? How long have I been up here? Okay. There's a... Uh, there was a yellow chair in my alley. It sat out there for several weeks. I kept trying to buy it because I had ideas for it. But the people were always gone when I... I uh, went back. A wooden chair. Called yellow chair. In an alley it sits, soaked in the rain, played out by the sun, like a piano with busted keys. Before the city truck, one last, cha one last chance to catch a seeing eye while its ghosts are leaving. That became a picture, or a photograph. And then I wrote the poem. Then I took another series of photographs. Um, it was nice in that there was a glare of sunlight coming through cracks in the uh, blackboard wall behind it. Looked like, you know, a stairway of light to the sky. And in the wood grain of the uh, board fence, you could see uh, these different faces outlined in the grain, but only if you're crazy enough to see such things. The best one looked like me, but you couldn't see it if you looked directly at it, then it would disappear. And the recent one is called Reaching Heaven. 
A single elm on a wintered hill reached heaven tonight through pale light from a quartered moon. Whether dormant or no, its leaves tonight are stars. We've got a uh, wonderful park here in Bellingham up on the heights of uh, um, above the BNSF railroad yard. It's called Elizabeth Park. Uh, when I had my former dog, he and I used to go out there, have various subtle adventures. But it was a lovely place, still is. This is called Invitation to Jake. You, full of your love for trains, should come tonight to Eldridge Heights, overlooking night-shined Bellingham Bay at the foot of the BNSF yard. Sit through evening's passage while city hall clock sums the hours. Sit and feel the smell of hyacinths around the fountain. Listen to the waxing churn of motive power, protesting squeals of Westinghouse brakes, the meeting clash of iron knuckles, and the rolling tread of steel on steel. Hear the hard ding of monotone bells and nervous outlay-left out late laughter of young women crossing the dewy grass of Elizabeth Park under the sharp, wailing, mating moans of switch engines. And for my next to the last poem, one of my all-time favorites. It's published in uh, Clover, a literary rag. That's the name of the uh, journal. It's actually based here in Bellingham. But this is Adirondack Light. There's something about Adirondack Light that leaves me cold and oligotrophic. The warmest of women there have distance that shines in the bluest and grayest eyes. Despite leavening by the Iroquois, reserve remains. All comings have leaving. As I drove east on sighing woman road, the sky absent stars scry mirrored my soul. I thought I saw the hunger moon rising, but it was just the bruise of a barn lamp on the hip of an old water tower that had no other illumination. Wish I could remember what I wanted to finish with. Yeah. 27. Yes, that's why I referred to it as oligotrophic. That's a term from hydrologists, lake water scientists, refers to a lake that is cold and without nutrients and unproductive. And they had 
unique names for roads and places like Sighing Woman Road, Crying Woman Mountain. I guess it was pretty rough on women there. Well, this is the lesson that must be learned. The history of man is various. There is peace. Then cities are burned, all because of a lesson still taught, a lesson that's still unlearned. God sent the Christ and the Buddha, and he sent down others we've spurned. He sent them that his lesson be taught, but we leave his lesson unlearned. Mankind is disposed to covet and to take what his neighbors have, but Muhammad, Christ, and the Buddha said, Give of your lot with love. We know the way of hateful men, men who are driven by greed, taking up all unto themselves in spite of other men's need. They care not if their workmen starve while they eat of a bread unearned, for they, they ignore the lesson still taught, the lesson that's still unlearned. What goes round comes round, tis said. Greed sneaks out, then roars home again, and no one is safe despite their wealth from trouble and war and pain. Men's needs are exploited by tyrants, for men look to tyrants if spurned by free men neglecting the lesson, by free men remaining unlearned. So bombers slip into the markets and shout as their victims burn, it's worth our lives that our lesson be taught and yours till our lesson you learn. The lessons that come from the highness are bitter. Are they what we have earned? History dictates the tough lesson be let taught, for always it must be learned. If we are to find salvation by each of us, it must be learned, must be earned by taking to heart the great lesson, the lesson that must be learned. Thank you. I hear he'll trade a book for a hug. Just saying. <laughs> that was fantastic. Thank you for sharing, Gary Wade. Yay. Poetry. Oh, jeez. Poetry. Poetry night rings through.